I kind of like ran out of those kinds of stories. But then at the same time, I wasn't modeling what I help people do, which isn't getting up on like a performance stage and telling a story, but it's getting up on whatever platform or getting out in whatever world people need to communicate and using story for professional communication. And I wasn't doing that. To quote the great Lin-Manuel Miranda, if you stand for nothing, what will you fall for? Now, whether you're a Hamill fan or not, you get the gist. You have to be clear on your values and what you believe, or else you risk getting caught up in what others want you to believe or how they want you to be. This applies in life, in politics, and of course, it applies in business too. And today, more than ever, people expect businesses and their leaders to speak up, to share what they stand for, to claim what makes them different, and to tell their stories without hesitation or equivocation. So this month, we're looking at different ways that small business owners take a stand, show up, and speak up. I'm Tara McMullen, and you're listening to What Works, the show that takes you behind the scenes of how small business owners are building stronger businesses through decisive action and consistent practice. Speaking up is for sure one of the things that business owners must do decisively and consistently to build a stronger business. Now, that doesn't mean you have to shout. You don't have to plaster social media channels with your messages or barrage your potential customers with emails. It's more about finding your voice, being willing to show up, and creating a connection with the people you want to reach. Sometimes that happens on a very small and powerful scale. Other times, it happens on a much bigger scale. Now, when I'm talking about speaking up here, what I'm not really talking about is growing your audience or building a personal brand. Instead, I'm talking about the system you create that allows you to communicate clearly and effectively with the people who matter most to you. And to go back to that line from Hamilton, it's about taking a stand so you don't fall for all the suggestions of how you should be presenting yourself or your message in order to get noticed. The more you understand your own voice and your unique communication style, the more effectively you can design a system for being heard, whether that's in your marketing, in your team communication, or in your customer communications. So this month, I have four stories for you. One about speaking with confidence on stage and off, one about podcasting, one about newsletters, and today's story, one about taking a stand and its ripple effects on a business. My guest today is Hillary Ray, the founder of Tell Me a Story. Hillary helps entrepreneurs, leaders, and changemakers identify the personal narratives that create powerful communication. Now, you might think Hillary had this whole speaking up and taking a stand thing under control. She did too. In fact, in episode 226, Hillary shared how she's found the confidence to stand on stage and share vulnerable personal experiences through storytelling. But earlier this year, just after COVID-19 upended her business, Hillary realized she had let herself, her story, and her stand get watered down. She was trying to squeeze into a mold that she assumed other people wanted her to fit into. This is the story of how she reversed course, started speaking up for real, and the challenges she faced as she did. Hillary and I talk about how her business shakeup this year helped her see what had become a big problem, how she tried to fit in and avoid looking like a, quote, 
weirdo. The concrete changes she made to how she presents her work and the ongoing challenges of continuing to speak up in a stronger way. Now, let's find out what works for Hillary Ray. Hillary Ray, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. I'm so thrilled to have you back. You are such a perfect way to kick off this topic of speaking up because that's literally what you do. And um, as people are going to find out, we're going to have a really meta meta conversation about it as well. And you and I are both fans of the meta. So this is going to be fun. So speaking of that, you told me that this year you realized that you were kind of half-heartedly taking a stand on your business, your values and how you communicate. Was there a day or a moment when that realization really clicked for you? I think it was a extended period of time where I was, where the realization came about. And I actually, I marked the beginning day of when the realization began, which was uh-huh. on, I believe it was March 12th, which was the day of the What Works virtual conference on uh, personal brand. And mm-hmm. I was one of the speakers. And I was supposed to have an interview with you, uh, a conversation. And my computer, for whatever reason, glitched out. I couldn't see you. I couldn't hear you. And what at the time was like my worst nightmare is I just had to directly speak to the camera on my computer with no other human to share my story with or to have a conversation with. And at that time, the whole basis of my business was this idea of like the energy exchanged from an in-person conversation or an in-person audience when I'm sharing a story. So it was literally like everything I stood for at that moment (laughs) for, I mean, it's a little dramatic because it still was fine, but it crumbled. It started, the pieces started to crumble that Mm. day. Wow. Um, yes, that was an unusual occurrence. We, that platform typically works, you know, 99.5% of the time. And then every so often when it glitches out, it glitches out hard. Um, and you were amazing and you shared such good information with everyone. And I can remember everyone, um, responding so well to it. And, um, just, you know, from my own personal experience, my own personal way of reacting to those things, I know how overwhelming that kind of technological glitch can be, especially when it's layered onto uh, these long held fears or beliefs or assumptions of how we're supposed to show up of, of, you know, when we're best, like when we're our best selves, when we're presenting ourselves best. So I can't even imagine what that was like for you. All right. So you said that this realization took, uh, was kind of over an extended period of time and that this was the beginning of it. What were some of the other things that you started to notice as time went on? Well, the following day, I believe was the last session I had with an in-person one-on-one client, and then everything shut down due to the global pandemic. And again, all every way that I was working with clients, producing the live storytelling show that my company puts on, um, all of that took place in person. And so that following week, I was supposed to have a two-day in-person crafting your narrative retreat and a live telling you story show. And I had to 
And I think I was still hanging on on that Friday. I think it was Friday the 13th. I don't know if I'm getting the dates right, but it was, <laughs> you know, it was that that second or third week of March. And I had I was like, I'm going to try to make this work somehow. I ultimately canceled the live show and bumped it to the next month. I tried to just move the exact in-person retreat to like a two-day online thing. And ultimately, like, I mean, again, I'm being a little dramatic, but my business crumbled to the ground. And so I wasn't left with much. <laughs> I was left yeah. with myself <laughs> and I was left with um, kind of picking up the pieces and really figuring out like, okay, so this part of this crumbled because of COVID-19. But also part of this crumbled is because I wasn't fully in the work that I was doing or I wasn't fully. And again, this is me looking back. I don't think I knew any of this at the time, but I, I, something wasn't right and I had to figure it out. And I think in that, in me having that technical glitch in the session at that virtual conference, what I had to do was double down on what I was communicating to people, which was specifically the five key elements of personal narrative, which is like a core of my business. It's what differentiates me from other people that do similar work. It also, those elements, I believe in them as a human and use them in my everyday life. So it was, I had to, my only job was to communicate that to the people on the other end because I couldn't have a conversation. And I think in everything else following part in the in the following days, I was like, okay, I need to really take hold of my work if I'm going to make my business work. And part of that is like embodying what I do and sharing that and communicating that with my own stories and with my own like firm stance. Yeah. So I want to get into exactly what that looks like now. But to set it up, I think we kind of have to look back a little bit more mm -hmm. too, um, because I, you know, personally and, you know, having spoken to lots of people about something similar over the years, um, I don't, you know, I think the awareness of when we are not fully standing in our stories, standing in what we stand for, <laughs> um, we don't realize it when it's going on, right? And so I think a really valuable part of this conversation could actually be naming um, or describing what being sort of half-hearted about our stories, taking a stand, um, communicating about our businesses actually looks and feels like. Um, so with the benefit of hindsight now, because again, like you said, there's no way you could have necessarily described this eight months ago. But now with the benefit of hindsight, how would you describe half-heartedly representing yourself, your business, your message, the work that you were doing out in the world? What did that look like then? Yeah. So I realized that had been going on for a handful of years. And also, I half-heartedly is definitely a way to put it. Another word that came to mind that I credit a, a leadership consultant named Selena Rizvani. I heard her speak at the end of last year, and she talked about this idea of showing up as a watered-down version of yourself. Mm. And I think that that is what I know that that is what I was doing. I was showing up, and more specifically in 
a professional capacity. I was showing up as a watered down version of myself. And I think this began when I fully went full time with my business. Uh, in that first year of business, I was focused on doing uh, team trainings and professional development work going into big corporations and leading sessions that way. And I had this idea of how I needed to assimilate to corporate mm. culture, having never had a corporate job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like hilarious. So I was like getting it. I like have made this joke a, a couple months ago of like my frame of reference was don't tell mom the babysitter's dead when Christina Applegate like takes on that office job and she keeps saying I'm right on top of that rose and she's wearing a blazer and I think like in my head that's like <laughs> the like 80s or early 90s version of like what I was doing um I wore blazers and I still like blazers but I was like I must wear blazer if I'm going mm -hmm. to show up and teach storytelling so I think like I in that way I was like okay I have to like blend into this culture or they'll like find out I'm like a weirdo or like, mm -hmm. I don't know what I was worried about um, specifically in that moment um, or like thinking they needed a specific, they wanted a specific type of storytelling. So I had also like a watered down version of what I teach. And it, and again, it's like, it wasn't bad. Like I got away. I, I felt good about it in those moments. I like quote unquote got away with it. Like I had great ex like customer response and I was getting work. Like it wasn't like I was failing quote unquote, but I, looking back, I'm like, oh, I was, it was half-hearted. Um, so there's that. And I've just thought about like other times in my life where I've done that, where I like have questioned my uniqueness or questioned my worldview a bit because somehow in my head, I was like, well, maybe it's easier if I just blend in or mm -hmm. like my idea of like what normal is, which like in my mid twenties, I auditioned for The Bachelor and, um, one of the reasons I auditioned really is because I wanted to be on Dancing with the Stars, but I knew that if I auditioned for The Bachelor and got selected and won, there was like a chance I could be on Dancing with the Stars. But That's I also, very strategic. <laughs> but in my head, and so I like sort of auditioned for The Bachelor as a joke, but also I was like, I just want to be like, and now The Bachelor, the contestants are all like wacky characters. But at the time it was like, everyone was like typical, like white sorority like I all I need is to find the love of my life and like settle down in the suburbs and do nothing or you know so I was like that sounds kind of nice and comfortable like let me try to get on the bachelor to do that but there was no way of like hiding the real me in that audition as much as I tried like I put on like a plain what I consider a plain outfit and like didn't act like myself and I also didn't get selected so I like see things that's like an extreme example but there's like been times in my life where I'm like the idea my idea of blending in in my head was like that might be easier that might be comfortable but it never was so yeah yeah, yeah I think it's really interesting that I, so first off, I can really relate to this idea of showing up as normal, wanting to belong or blend in, wanting to be what people expect me to be. Uh, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners can relate to that too. I mean, I think that's, there's such a common human, uh, motivation there, even if we do it for slightly different reasons. Um, that's such a pattern that we see. Uh, and what's interesting about that to me is that we're doing it for acceptance. We're doing it to be picked. And at the same time, those are the very things that keep us from being fully accepted and actually being 
quote unquote, picked, selected, recognized, highlighted, whatever featured, whatever it is that you are, whatever kind of accolade you most want. Um, Yeah. And I don't know that I have more to say about that, that other than that, there's just, it's crazy that we uh, assume that kind of watering things down, as you said, can help us get what we want when it's quite the opposite. You'll hear about the concrete changes Hillary made to how she presents her work in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by The Commitment Blueprint. It's time to start thinking about what you want out of next year. Is this the year you launch a new line of business or streamline and simplify? Is this the year you get serious about writing a book or go all in on writing for social media? Is this the year you build out a team to support your vision or get back to basics and do it yourself? Every year presents us with its share of decisions to make. And making those decisions can be stressful and kind of overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. Before you decide on what you want in 2021, make a commitment. The Commitment Blueprint is a unique system for guiding your life and business without setting specific goals. It's a process for flexible planning, task management, and personal accountability that gives you a fresh perspective on how you lead yourself and others to accomplish what's truly important to you. I'll be your guide for the Commitment Blueprint Live, October 19th through 23rd. I'll walk you through the system, give you time to do the work with me, and answer your questions over four 90-minute sessions. Plus, you'll get worksheets for brainstorming and processing, recordings of each session, and transcripts to review, too. You'll even get our Leadership Dashboard, a done-for-you Notion template to help you turn your commitments into consistent action. Space in the Commitment Blueprint is limited. Get on the waitlist to get your invitation. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash blueprint. That's explorewhatworks.com slash blueprint. What Works is also brought to you by Mighty Networks. Bring your community, courses, and events all together under one roof with a Mighty Network. Mighty Networks just rolled out a huge update of their events features, making it easier than ever to create dynamic, well-attended virtual events that seriously up the value of your online community or digital programs. Now at What Works, we've hosted 13 virtual conferences over the last three and a half years with Mighty Networks. These conferences help us connect with members, help members connect with each other, and of course, they're full of valuable stories and information. What's more, we've found that great events like our virtual conferences help us keep members engaged and encourage them to strike up new conversations long after the event is over. If you're looking for a way to connect with your customers and level up the value you're providing, live events are the perfect way to do it. Check out how Mighty Networks can help you host live virtual events, as well as how you can connect your community members, charge for subscriptions, and build your brand by going to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. So you've started making a lot of changes. You've really been putting yourself out there. What kind of walk us through 
once you started to realize that you had been putting this watered down version of yourself out there, once you started to realize that you'd been speaking up on your own behalf half-heartedly, how did you start to act differently? How did you start to do things differently? Can you walk us through that process? Yeah, I think the there was a pivotal moment in my like watered down corporate version of myself where a presentation went completely wrong and um, the woman in charge like challenged what I said and I backpedaled instead of standing my ground of like what I was teaching a hundred people oh. and it just turned into a big mess. And that actually made me decide like, I don't want to like do company work anymore. And that's really when I shifted to serving entrepreneurs and women in leadership, but like coming to me versus me going into these companies. But even then, and this is like a, a little more half-hearted examples to get to my shift. Sure. Um, I had some help with a rebrand, like from an outside, like uh, digital marketing company. And I'm grateful for everything they did. But I think part of that was like, oh, well, now I'm this person who helps entrepreneurs. And I don't know if it it might have been partially like, things they share suggested to me, but also again, in my head, this idea of like what an entrepreneur is and what it in my head, it was like, oh, like a YouTuber, like an influencer on a beach, like, you know, YOLOing, like, I just don't even know. <laughs> and I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit <laughs> in the moment now. But I think like, I wasn't really focused on who I had customers. So I wasn't even like paying attention to like who those customers are. And I think again, I was like, well, now I have to like cater to this audience and shape mold my storytelling to this. And it didn't work. I mean, it worked mm -hmm. a tiny bit, but like my business suffered. And I also was like, oh, I don't want to work with that person like what like um and the people i was working with were wonderful and like exactly who i wanted to work with but i was like trying to reach these other people which i don't even know if they existed really um so that again like going back to that like crumble day in march i think like again this is like there's other things that made me come to these realizations but i was like uh i want to work with <laughs> the the people I've always intended to work with. And that's not this like fake YOLO person with like a floppy hat and that like has, you know, swirly font everything. Um, I want to work with who I've always been working with and double down on that. And I don't want to teach like a type of storytelling that people I think people want. I want to teach the type of storytelling that I teach because I've taught it when I've been wholehearted about it. It's transformative and it's transformative for me. It's transformative for the other person. It helps people overcome their communication challenges in a way that they couldn't even conceive. And I don't know. Did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I think we're getting there. So uh, okay. actually, let's pause there because okay. you're getting to this place where you're describing this choice to do what you want. Mm-hmm as opposed to trying to mold your work or your brand or how you're representing your work into what someone else expects. And this is a really, to me, there's like a really juicy businessy thing that happens <laughs> right here, which is that, and, and I'm, I'm kind of tangentially, I'm very interested in picking apart all of the places where 
two contradictory things are true <laughs> in business right now. And I think this is one of them. I think we've landed on one of them where um, we have so much choice to do what we want to do. And that's important and it's extremely valuable and it helps us create value for others as well. When we make the choice to like, no, this is the way I do it. Um, it's important to me that it's done this way. It's important to me that uh, the process is like this, that these values come out in this work. However, however, you know, your choices line up, that's extremely important. And it's also important that we think about other people and how that work applies to them and why it's in their best interest and what benefits there are to them and, and how we can make a connection between them and the work that we're choosing to do. And so I think that there's uh, the, the motivation to show up in a way that people expect us to, to show up in a way that um, connects with them, that matches what they think they want or matches what feels normal to them. That motivation has a place in like real, in reality and in strategy. And it tends to kind of work out the way that you're describing, which is that we go about it the wrong way. And I don't have a fully formed question here, but I'm curious, looking back on it, how do you see the balance between firming up the choice to do the work, the way you want to do the work, the work that you want to do, with also being really mindful about who you're doing the work with and how you're going to connect with those people. Yeah. So what I wasn't doing and hearing you talk through all that, I stopped telling stories and I stopped oh. telling stories on stage because I was focused so much on building my business. And I also have a narrative storytelling podcast where I was telling other people's stories. Um, so I was so passionate about that and focused on that, that when I went to host my show, I was just a host. And that's great. Like, the, it's a different role than storyteller. I f when I first started the Tell Me Story Live show, I always also additionally told a story. And I was also performing on tons of other storytelling shows. I was commuting to New York once a week to do shows and and popping into other shows in Philadelphia. I had, I've, I haven't done that in, in years. So I, I was just hosting the sh not just but hosting the show, producing a podcast. So I, I kind of like ran out of those kinds of stories. But then at the same time, I wasn't modeling what I help people do, which isn't getting up on like a, like a performance stage and telling a story, but it's getting up on whatever platform or getting out in whatever world people need to communicate and using story for professional communication. And I wasn't doing that. And so I think even early this year, one of my like commitments was I'm going to model what I do. Mm -hmm. And I think I didn't really start fully doing that until I had to pick up all the pieces that like the container in which my business existed broke and I had to put it back together. And the only way I could do that is if I also showed up and spoke up. Is that the right uh, tense? Um, using story as as the main tool. <laughs> and so I started doing that. I started doing it in interpersonal communication, in my newsletter, um, in client conversations, and just in everything, um, even if it was just like a small anecdote to give an example or to, to, to hit home a point. And then another thing that I know that I was doing, 
And I don't know how long I had been doing this, but I would just, I called it like grumbling to myself. Like I would hear, like someone would like communicate in a way that like really annoyed me or, or like I knew I could help them in some way, even if I didn't know them. Um, or I just like heard, like I was just, and you know this, I was grumbling about like how people were using the word storytelling, even though <laughs> I like, do know this, yeah. <laughs> even though it's like there's multiple definitions, but, but I was grumbling about that and the grumbles were all internal. Like, and it wasn't like I was like talking smack about people. Like I don't do that. <laughs> but in my head, I was like, they need this. That's not right. Like, blah, 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 blah. but I like never said it out loud. <laughs> and then I started saying it out loud and, and I'm still like fully forming like where I stand on that. And then the third kind of realization or thing that I've made a big shift in is I've, and this was pointed out to me by a wonderful woman named Michelle Warner. I worked with her a few months ago and I would say, give all these firm stances, like one of them. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard me say this too, Tara is like, you can't control how your story is going to be received. And the feedback I got was like, okay, but that sounds horrifying. So I'd rather just run away and hide and never talk again. And when I say it, I'm like, that's liberating mm -hmm. to think. And so I never had a why or a because. So I was, so I, so when I first started like coming out with these firm, I went from like half-hearted to then like taking a stand, but never including the why or because. And so I was, I was grumbling because what I believed in wasn't landing because I also wasn't communicating through story, which would have hit home those examples and, and given the why and because, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. It What you have just described is so my experience as well. And I am just so thrilled <laughs> that you are providing this incredible example for people because I... I know that this is so many people's stories in one way or another of finding their, you know, realizing there was something wrong, finding their voice, and then kind of getting into the flow with it, right? Um, I, I would love, if you can, for you to share an example of a newsletter that you used a story in because you have such a great newsletter. And I think it's an example that so many people can kind of run with because most of us are sending some type of newsletter or, you know, all of our email marketing looks a little bit different, but it's something I think that the vast majority of people listening could really relate to. Um, can you give us an example? Or I guess maybe tell us what your newsletter is like and then how, give us an example of a, of a story that you used and why. Sure. So ironically, my newsletter, I don't know if it's ironically, coincidentally, my newsletter is called The Speak Up. And <laughs> nice. I've been doing it in some way, shape or form for a handful of years. It's now every other week. Um, but it was always like there would be some sort of personal anecdote, but it was never like maybe it was just like something funny that happened to me that week or like where I was using story, but the story didn't have a purpose. Um, so there would always be that. And then there would be a lot of links. I love sharing resources. <laughs> I've recently been named the queen of links um, in the What Works mastermind group that I'm a part of, which I was happily, happy to take on that title. So it would be a lot of links. <laughs> but then if I went into the analytics, um, not a lot of people clicked on those articles, but then people would reply back and be like, oh, thank you for sharing that thing about you or whatever it was. Um, 
But so at some point I made a shift and this is again in the last few months of like, okay, I want to tell a story in the beginning of each newsletter, but there needs to be a reason why it's like the why and because, and, and without me saying, and the reason I'm telling you this story is this reason, dot, dot, dot. There's like a trope on in live storytelling where people say, and at that moment I realized, and I, and I, I can't stand that because I think let the audience realize what you realized on their own and have them take away what they want from your story. So anyway, but if I knew my realization, if I knew my why and my purpose when sharing that story and that it also aligned with the things I take a stand on in my business or that I'm trying to teach people or I want them to understand when all of that is aligned, um, not only do like way more people write back and say, oh my gosh, thank you so much and share, start sharing stories of their own. They're actually like, I'm sending out less links in the email, but then they're clicking on the links, like the things because I've also like put in links that make sense with the story that I'm sharing instead of a bunch of random things that I like read that week. So there's these tiny tweaks. And I know people noticed because they told me they're like, this is different. Um, So an example, I guess, like I recently um, quit going to the bar studio that I'd been going to for five and a half years. And I I made that decision to quit because of how they showed up during um, everything that happened after George Floyd's murder and the, the lack of communication. And then in further research, like realizing that like the, the owner of that particular franchise and I don't have the same set of values or politics. And I was giving them a lot of money. And also the way that they served customers during the pandemic, it just wasn't enough. And so I I shared that story and shared the story of how I found the new bar studio and how I actually made the choice based on an interview I heard with the owner on how I built this and then like doing a bunch of research of like, oh, no, like this company. And I made that shift. And so I gave that as an example and linked it to like, what it really means to like, take a stand and like, how you can make life choices based on that. And I think like that specific newsletter was one where a lot of people, it really resonated with them. And I also, um, I don't know if she ever read it, but I sent it to not the person I broke up with, but I sent it to the head of this company called Bar3. Um, and they said they forwarded it to her, but I like wrote a letter and was like, I'd love for you to read this newsletter of like why I switched to your company. Um, that is incredible. <laughs> It's such a great example. And I, I really appreciate you sharing kind of the, the evolution and, and how it was a small tweak. But even though it was a small tweak to how you're sharing in the newsletter now, one, it's produced results, but two, people noticed too. And I think that, um, again, that's largely been my experience is even when I make a small tweak around how I speak up and when I recognize more uh, how I want to uh, stand for what I believe in, you know, whether it's business things, whether it's social things, whether it's personal things, um, people really do notice even if like, even if on the surface, it looks like something really small. So I, I appreciate that that is the example that you shared and that it feels really approachable at the same time that it's a really big deal. Speaking of really big deals, um, as we st- 
start to maybe wrap up a little bit. Um, <laughs> one of the things that you mentioned to me as we were kind of prepping for this conversation is that you have have or have had a fear of being exposed. And you kind of spoke to that a little bit at the beginning of the conversation to, um, you know, when it comes to uh uh, matching the culture, matching other people's expectations and how you show up. Um, but I, I think there's probably also a fear of exposure when it comes to even sharing this, what you've shared today. Like you're, you're a storyteller. You teach people how to speak up. You have a newsletter called the speak up and you realized that you weren't doing as good a job of it for yourself as you could be doing. There's like, there's a ton of potential fear and certainly vulnerability there as well. Um, and that's something that often holds people back. Can you describe how or can you describe your experience of that fear of being exposed and how you're moving past that fear now? Yeah, I think for me, the fear of exposure isn't like being caught in a failure moment or being embarrassed. And I think at one point it was like, oh, I will be exposed that I'm not like a corporate America person or like a YOLO entrepreneur. Um, but I but I think actually, ultimately, it's like, if I'm putting myself out there in the way that I expect everyone I work with to put themselves out there, then I have to keep doing it. I can't go back to the watered down version of myself. And that doesn't mean that I am like we're all continually evolving and coming into our identity and 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 the stories aren't stagnant. Like we you can shift the story at any time, tell new stories, but I have to keep doing it. And it's a lot of work and I love it, but it's a lot of work. And um, it's a lot of work for the people that I work with. And I think getting people past that fear of like, what's going to happen if I do this um, is a big part of it. And so it's like the fear of like, it's not like a fear of success either. It's just like, I like I know nothing's going to happen nothing bad's going to happen from doing it but it's like the 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 exposure is like well like I have to stay committed to this and I want to so I don't know what the thing is and I think I was thinking of examples when I really when I was telling stories on stage um a lot and also when I first put out my podcast people would well strangers would in in Philadelphia cuz everything was in person like i remember going to the bank <laughs> for for my business bank account and the teller was like oh i saw you at like whatever theater like that was great and i and i remember going back to my boyfriend being like this guy was so creepy he like told me that he saw me and he was like what hillary like you tell stories to the public like of course people <laughs> are going to hear you and like that's like you want them to hear you and like same thing with my podcast like people would give like I've gotten letter like people have mailed mail to the coffee shop, like where my live show was. And I was like, oh, that's like so weird. Like, why would anyone do that? And so I kept like denouncing that that would happen. And my boyfriend's like, what are you doing? Like, then don't do it. Like if that and I don't know why I would get those visceral reactions because like I am putting myself out there either artistically or professionally. And I that's my choice and I like it. So I don't know why. I think, again, it links back to that fear of exposure of like, well, okay, like this is it then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I have the exact same experience. <laughs> so, so, And I don't know why that happens 
either. I, I, I don't know why that happens either. However, I have a hunch about, so, uh, you kind of talked about two different things, um, in terms of fear of exposure. This one of like actually being seen and people recognizing that and wanting to respond. And yeah, I don't know how to explain that either. I feel the exact same way. I put myself in the exact same positions and then feel the same way, even though like at the same time, I love getting emails back from people. I love being recognized and also, there's terror in that as well, or there's a, yeah, a very, sometimes a very visceral reaction to it. It's so, it's such a strange phenomena. But, um, the other thing that you talked about was, um, this commitment to continuing to show up this way, to telling the stories, to taking a stand. And what I heard underneath of that was sort of a fear of not being up to the task. And that is also something that I can really relate to. And so I, I, I'm putting words in your mouth a little bit, and I don't want to do that. So I guess my my question in response to that is, am I describing that fear accurately there? The, the part of that fear of exposure is a fear uh, that you're not up for the task of continuing the the big, hard work of speaking up day in and day out. I am up for the task. I think it's maybe in thinking about it now, like a worry that I'll run out of mm -hmm. things to speak up about. Yeah. <laughs> or if I change my mind, like I'm never worried. I feel good in that. I'm actually never worried about this thing where I say like, you can't control how people are going to receive it. Like I actually don't worry about that. I, I think I used to, especially going to school for theater and having to audition, it's all worrying about what the other person <laughs> thinks of you. Um, and I, it took a lot of work, but I've broken through. So it's not like worried about the response to it. I think it's like worrying that I'll, it will run out. Like I'll, I won't have anything left to stand for. The things I'm talking about are going to feel stale. And that's clearly not going to happen because I've already like had such like a fantastically uh, swirly, I don't know, like winding path to like who I am, the work that I do, my purpose that like, that's obviously going to keep happening. Even if I like set out thinking I'm on a straight path, which I try actually not to do. Um, so I don't know. I think it's just, it, it's not like, Oh, I'm complaining cause I'm exhausted. Like I actually think it's freeing and I want to feel more of that, but what mm. happens if it runs out? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel that. Um, okay. One last question on the subject of speaking up. Um, and then I swear we'll close it out. Um, <laughs> which is, I'm curious about how your perception of your own authority and credibility has shifted over the last six, seven months while you have been consciously working on speaking up and putting yourself out there more? Hmm. I think, I don't know if it's my own personal authority or credibility. I don't know if I've ever really like grappled with those words to define how I communicate even in the watered down version of myself. But I do notice that I don't resonate with what I define as like authority and credibility with, um, I guess, people that use the phrase subject matter expert mm. <laughs> um, and then communicate uh, as a subject matter expert would where you don't really get to know anything about who they are. They're just um, like, I don't have a concrete example, but I, but there's this fine line difference of like being talked at, mm -hmm. like, 
um, talked at and talked down to. And then there's um, what I focus on communication style wise is sharing something with someone else or a bunch of other people. And uh, the focus being on like, I have this thing that I really need to share with these people. And so this is, even if I'm the only one speaking, this is a conversation and this is a shared experience um, because we're human and there isn't, no one's better than the other person. And I think to me and how I, and how I'm defining like authority and credibility now is like proving you're better or proving you're the know-it-all or prove. And again, this is my personal perception. Um, yeah. And it's like not an even playing field and there's no reciprocity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Awesome. Hillary, what are you excited about right now? Oh, I am doing this big deep dive into the, the uh, concept of identity um, and how personal narrative comes into play. So I'm doing, I'm in like research mode right now. Ooh. I'm reading a lot of cool books. I'm taking, I'm trying to take every personality test that's out there um, to see how that plays into identity. And if stories can shift out of that personality test, shift you out of like defining yourself by these personality tests. And then, um, yeah, just carrying that into the work that I'm doing with clients, which is now fully virtual and not geographically uh, set in stone in Philadelphia, which is so exciting and thrilling to me. And I'm just going to, I'm excited to commit to speaking up and continuing that journey. Awesome. Hillary, thank you so much for sharing your story and for sharing this shift that you've been experiencing and how you speak up. Um, I know that it's going to resonate with so many people and provide such a, a great way for them to better understand their own story when it comes to speaking up uh, and how they can make that shift for themselves. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This is the perfect time of year to check in with yourself. Are you fully taking a stand and speaking up? Or like Hillary, have you actually been showing up with a watered down version of yourself in your work? If it's the latter, trust me, you are not alone. With a few notable exceptions, I think this is a challenge many of us go through. I certainly have. And it's a challenge that you don't fix once either. It often comes back around when you take your eye off your commitment to speaking up. Just like Hillary said, it's a lot of work to show up, to take a stand and to use your voice in its most potent way. So there's no shame in realizing that you may have gotten a little lax with how you speak up. But now is the time to identify how you want to speak up and start making a habit of doing it. Find out more about Hillary Ray and tell me a story at tellmeastory.info. Next week, I welcome Suze Chadwick to the podcast. Suze is a bold, confident personality, and I wanted to find out what was going on inside her head as she shows up and speaks up. Plus, we talk about how her family background and personal values are a growth edge she's exploring with her voice in a new way. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our production assistants are Kristen Runvik and Lou Blazer. 
Get more of what works delivered to your inbox every Thursday. I share a letter on building a stronger business and becoming a stronger leader, as well as handpicked resources to help you grow in our free weekly newsletter. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash weekly to sign up.